Three, two, one, execute. Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC, located in Northern California. And it's Friday. It's about 7 a.m. on the West Coast. And I was speaking with a Pinellas County candidate running for the commission there in Pinellas County, District 4. And she brought up something that uh, caused me to do this podcast episode today. And it's always been out there, but a lot of people overlook it. A lot of voters overlook this topic of term limits. And I felt it's a great time to talk about it. Now, I want people to know, listening to the Real People USA uh, podcast, is that when we talk about subjects, we can't talk about things at a surface level. We must take these topics a little deeper because we would not be a consulting firm if we just stayed on the surface. So the title of this podcast episode is Get In, Get Out, and Go Live off the policies you created. And this statement is for the political candidates and people running for office. Get in office because you see something that you want to fix or you want to serve. Then get out after eight years and then go live off the policies you created. Because if you are a great uh, public servant in eight years, you're not going to create policies that's going to harm the way you earn your living after you leave public service. If you were a horrible uh, public servant, you won't want to leave because you will say, oh my gosh, I can't survive, you know, off the policies I created. So with this uh, conversation of term limits, get in, get out, and go live off the policies you created, there's about there's several things we can talk about. Uh, the first one is what is management? Management is typically defined as how do you manage resources, equipment, uh, labor, and other tools like assets at your disposal if you are a manager. Now managing, I'm gonna give people three different areas of management. Because I was in two, I was in the private sector and the military, the private sector as a Fortune 500 uh, operations manager and then a sales executive. Then I served 12 years in the military. I've never been a public servant, but I have a lot of uh, (laughs) evidence and things I have seen as a citizen, as a resident of a community here in California. So let's talk about the public servant first. So the public servant gets into office and he or she has these these activities they need to manage. If you live in a coastal community like Santa Monica, California, or in Pinellas County, Florida, there are there are some concerns that you have to deal with with uh, with with water, with storms, with uh, just you know. Uh, how to make sure that the place doesn't get cr- uh, flooded. If you live in an area where there is snow and drainage from the snow and the snow melts, 
there are some concerns that you have to deal with as a public servant. So a lot of things dealing with land, you know, property, you know, sanitation. I mean, the work goes on and on and on. Okay. But for a public servant, you got to think about, you know, how the, the average day goes. So it may be maybe visiting something to look at it. Uh, it could be being in meetings to talk about how to fix something or how to resolve some type of, you know, challenge, short term or, or long term challenge. So that's the job. But what is not in the job as a public servant is to turn a profit, uh, to win. I mean, when I say win, you will understand what I mean when I talk about the uh, military and private sector. So to turn a profit, that's not part of the public servant job. Now, the job does entail managing a budget to a certain to a certain extent, but Sometimes when uh, the numbers are not um, making sense, which mean meaning the, the, the public servant, the budget is starting to hit its max, the public servant can ask for emergency funds. Uh, the public servant can raise taxes. So that's the definition of the public servant when we talk about management. And I didn't cover everything and I may have missed some very important things. And I apologize, but I wanted to do a contrast between the public servant and the military and the private sector. So now let's talk about the military. So I spent 12 years in the military, six of those years as a uh, working as a communication combat a technician, going to some interesting places. So how do you manage resources in the military? Well, our job is to be ready all the time. So I recall, you know, starting out, especially in the combat unit, I was doing the same things over and over again. And I used to, that used to frustrate me until I became a team leader. And then I understood why. So I had to manage people so that they could do the job under intense pressure and situations. So simple tasks that, you know, you would normally say, well... Yeah, I can do that. I don't, I don't need any additional training on that. Well, can you do the job if someone's firing on you, if people are running to your communications van telling you that we need to get the word out to a certain sector ASAP? Can you push the buttons fast enough? Can you make sure the, the message is encrypted? Can you change the encryption logic on a, at the, at the you know, quickly? If someone says, oh, we've been hacked. They know where our troops are. We need to change the encryption logic. Could you, can you do that in less than two minutes if you had to? So in the military, it's about being ready and it's about winning. So let's move to the private sector. Now, managing resources in the private sector is another, it's, it's an animal. So when I was in operations, we had a budget and, and my budget was, was roughly... Uh, $600,000 a year to manage about 60, you know, customer service reps who made about four to $5,000 a month. I'm going back 20 years and some other funds I had to manage to make sure that uh, we were able to stay open as a company. So every department had a budget and if every department 
state within their budget, then at least the expense side was good. Now, if a com- if a if a department did not meet its budget, then that would be a red flag. There's something wrong. Maybe it's the manager's fault. Maybe it isn't. Uh, if it's not the manager's fault, then then there's justification for increased money for the budget. If it is the manager's fault, then you need a new manager. So moving fast forward into sales, you know, sales executives and sales managers have not only do they have a, a budget, but they have a revenue projection. So the sales manager, in my case, I had to um, uh, make sure that uh, I kept $20 million dollars on the books and exceed the revenue expectation. So I had to make sure that I increased my revenue numbers by 10%. So I had to go from 20 million to $22 million every year. And I did that. But if I did not do that, that would, you know, failing would impact the other parts of the company because the sales department, you know, makes the money to pay the other departments. So what I wanted to do is give people like a, a quick overview of what management is. So let's move on to so let's move on to working in public service. Now there's a good friend of mine here in California, and she is the editor of the California Globe, uh, which is a, a, a newspaper, a digital newspaper that writes about the problems in California, and there are many. And her name is Katie Grimes, and she's a good friend of mine. We have phone number access, email access with, with, with each other. We talk a lot. She came up with this line that says, if the best job that a person has ever had has been working in, in politics, then that's probably not the, the best person for the job. And what she meant by that, when some people become public servants or politicians, if that's the only thing they've ever done in their lives, then the public may be at great risk. Because if you've never had to meet a payroll, if you've never had a job where your boss has said, you need to stay within this, this budget parameter. So that politician who has never maintained a budget or signed the front of a paycheck, like as a business owner, the, the community could be at risk. So that person may not have any idea of how to manage the resources. That's why it's always good to, when you look at candidates, look at what kind of job they had before. Did the candidate own a business? Did the candidate come from the military? Did the candidate have something where they had to maintain a discipline and stick to that discipline? So it's very important. So Let's move on to some of the more touchy subjects of why uh, politicians uh, stay in office. The third one is money and power. All right. So you get this money and power. So you're a public servant and uh, you've been there four years and maybe you've signed some hundred million dollar, you know, agreements to have something done. Maybe you, you have been in Congress and you've seen 500 billion dollars come across your desk and you've signed bills at 500 billion dollars 1 trillion dollars so all of a sudden as a politician you feel you have this great power man 
I just signed something. I put my name on something. I voted for something that was $750 billion. Now, here comes the hard part. Here comes the, the challenge. The politician said, I just signed something. And then the politician says, I didn't get a penny of that money. Where's my cut? You know, this company who was contracted to do something, maybe build uh, interstates or freeways, overpasses, you know, <laughs> a company like Pfizer. My gosh, get our money back from Pfizer. And, and politicians say, I didn't get any penny of that money. Where's my cut? And some politicians have been known to take calls from, from companies and individuals and lobbyists. And these calls say, you know, Congressman Jones or Congressman Smitty. Uh, you know, we would love to have our company perform this particular service or offer this product to U.S. citizens. And if you can make that happen, we will donate $500,000 to your campaign. So the next time you run, we'll donate money to an organization who will give the money to an organization who will give the money to an organizations through different people. And all of a sudden, you're going to have $500,000 in your campaign. And that senator says to that, uh, to that vendor, that politician says to this vendor, will your product or service do something for the citizens and that vendor says yes and sometimes there's another vendor out there that can do the same thing but maybe that vendor cannot come up with $500,000 that goes to one person that goes to another person that goes to an organization that goes to organizations and the money ends up in the politicians uh, campaign account or the money ends up and the friend of the vendor or the money ends up in a friend of the politician or maybe the vendor is a friend of the politician so you see where this is going listeners this is going to a place where uh, uh, special interest groups are paying for access and that's what happens when you have uh, politicians stay in office too damn long you know the politician stays in office too damn long and all of a sudden so that politician starts to become rich the politician comes into office with the annual salary of two hundred thousand dollars maybe you know 150 185 uh, two hundred thousand dollars and then their net worth begins to increase and then by the time they get out of office 30 years later they're multi-millionaires how in the hell does that happen? Well, it happens because these politicians are like, I guess, everyday Americans. You, you start seeing that kind of money across the table over, you know, for years and years. You start saying, man, I would love to get like $25,000 of that $750 billion somehow. So I would say these last... 12 to 14 years has opened my eyes to how these politicians on both sides but I think it, it sticks out more on the Democrat side 
But we know there are politicians on the Republican side doing the same doggone thing, which is doing that, that dog and pony show called pay to play, accepting money from special interest groups to uh, pass their legislation, to approve their, uh, their contract. So you might say, well, well, Rick, what's wrong with a company getting special treatment for a contract? Well, in some cases, maybe that's the only company that can provide it. And it's and this 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 bidding for work is such a, a racket. I live here in California and I see rackets all the time with companies winning contracts. And, and it's not to say that maybe this company is the only company that can do it, but there have been stories of other companies being shut out who can perform the work. So these politicians that stay in office too long, they become part of the problem. And because uh, they've been in office for so long, they see their job as not being a public servant, but they see their job as the people should worship them or the people should bow down to them or the people should kiss the ring of the politician. And that's bad. And then the last category, as we wrap up, these politicians that have been in office you know, for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, they start to involve themselves in, in somewhat criminal activity. You've heard about all the things the Clintons were doing, all the things that have gone on with the Pfizer and these drugs and Moderna and uh, Johnson and Johnson. So you've seen all these contracts with these uh, these uh, COVID nineteen mRNA jab companies, the Pfizer's, the Modernas, the Johnson and Johnsons. You know, getting all this money for something that doesn't even work, and in fact, it has harmed a lot of people with these adverse reactions. So the bottom line, as I close, is term limits. America, that's what we need. We need term limits. We don't want people to be in office past four or eight years. Because when they stay in office, they become filthy rich and they forget about the American people. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of cases over the years where these public servants have become enemies of the state. My name is Rick Napier, the president, CEO of Real People USA, LLC, based in California. My telephone number is 726-999-0999, and our website is rpusa.org. Take care and make it a great day.